Hi, welcome to the Results Bulletin for Season 3, Episode 3 of which decade is Tops for Pops. Once again, we are joined by a special guest and Patreon subscriber. This is James Errington, who you will know as James of Centuries of Sound. Hi, James. Welcome. Hello. And Nick and Trev are here, as always. They need no introduction. We have results. We have long overdue results. Cast your minds back to last year when we recorded episode three. These results have been locked in for about a fortnight now. I can start by announcing that only narrowly in last place, earning minus one points for the 1990s, we have Queen Wyclef Jean Prazen free with their remix of Another One Bites the Dust. Comments-wise, it's been a very mixed bag this time. Some of the songs have had virtually no comments. Other songs have had absolutely heaps of comments. And another one, Bites the Dust, has had more comments than any other tune. Here are just a small selection. So, Alex says, I have a love-hate relationship with Queen. No band has done more, both to first get me into popular music and then to subsequently crush me. There are moments on this where Wyclef performs an acceptable rap over John Deacon's terrific bass line. There are other moments when this is a bit like settling down in front of the stereo to listen to another one bites the dust, only for your 13-year-old to settle down beside you with TikTok on his phone turned up to full volume. Hedro says... I wondered why this existed, dark thoughts indeed, until the mention of the movie Small Soldiers. That soundtrack seems to be an attempt to copy the success of the Judgment Night soundtrack, with each track a collaboration between a rock and rap artist. This would have been the point in time when the studio who released the movie, DreamWorks, was still young and had something to prove and was very willing to throw all sorts of money on their projects. I already disliked the original for being too obviously inspired by Sheik's good times in a manner similar to Vanilla Ice's use of Under Pressure. This version doesn't help. Ed says, Another One Bites the Dust is by some distance my favourite Queen song, a genuine 10 out of 10. The Fugees were massively important in breaking me out of my Britpop-saturated adolescence, and the score was my favourite album for a number of years. This, however, is truly abysmal. It might be my least favourite thing you've covered. And, by way of contrast, Malcolm the Break Doctor, who placed it second, says... Having never actually heard this version, I was initially sceptical, but it's actually very well done and catchy and not the sacrilege I was expecting. Good for the dance floor and doesn't detract from the legendary original. So mostly thumbs down, except for Malcolm and a thumbs up. James, I have no record in front of me of your comment. So where do you stand on this one? I'm pretty sure I put it in the mayor zone, but higher up. I don't know. I came into it feeling you know uh, negative expectations that's for sure you know with, with the fujis i wanted to hear more from lauren hill but there was always just just with that, that one album didn't she and then mm. there was a lot from wycliffe and it seemed a lot of it was not very high quality but it worked it didn't blow me away but i can see why it exists as a song why it was on their greatest hits volume three is a bit of a mystery but i guess they're running out of material after freddie died uh, the uh, Queen Greatest Hits Volume 3 is generally a bit of a mystery, isn't it? It's got the five track on 
And has it got some of Freddie's solo stuff on? It's a bit weird. It's got some of Brian May's solo stuff on, I think, mm. hasn't it? I remember at the time it came out being quite excited because at the time I was a Queen fan and I thought their best album probably was their greatest hits. So I was like, oh yeah, because greatest hits two was quite good. Uh, and then the three felt very much like a car boot sale. I was in favour of the Fraz track, but yeah, that album was uh, a struggle. Yeah, Queen used to be my official favourite group. Queen 2, all-time favourite. She Heart Attack, bit rock for me. Night at the Opera, fantastic. Day in the Races, fine. And after that, my interest completely slumped. I remember liking, was it Innuendo? With the really awesome photo on the cover. I remember sitting in my dad's car in the rain, listening to that on a cassette. So that must have been brilliant because I would, what would I have been? eight at the time and it kept my uh, attention innuendo is just a naked attempt to replicate bohemian rhapsody but let's not go there i think if you called this song another one bites the dust open brackets meh close brackets nobody would bat an eyelid i don't remember you having at all strong feelings about that track i don't wake up screaming thinking about that review three or four times a week at all i'm astonished it came last trev well, it only just came last. So going into the Met Zone, we have a very narrow save for Leona Lewis for the 2000s with Forgive Me. And she is joined in the Met Zone by Rita Ora for the 2010s with Let You Love Me. So some comments for Leona Lewis. Hedro says, in an alternate timeline, this is the song that is requested when you go out after a breakup and you want to get a bit too drunk and maybe pick up someone else for a quick emotional palate cleanser. Just you and your friends, dancing in a circle, screaming out the lyrics, all acknowledging the ex as someone just not worth the effort. Malcolm says, bland, why even bother, a shameful waste of airtime. And Ed says, what can I say? Something this insubstantial doesn't lend itself to multiple sentences. And I think that was shared by most of the commenters, because they were the only comments we had. For Leona Lewis. James, what was your take? I have very little to add on that. I don't know. She did have some good songs. I was out of the country when she was famous and I was not paying attention the late 2000s really to music at all. But I didn't really have much to say about it. I mean, I've got something to say about most songs, but it was just completely unremarkable in every way. It was really hard to dredge up anything to say about this song. Can anyone remember how it goes now? Can you hear it in your head? Because I can't. I would say, as far as meh zone goes, this and the Rita Ora tracks are strong. Meh. It should be a genre of meh. This is like right at the forefront, the cutting edge. They were taking meh to new and exciting beige places. Now that's what I call meh would be a fine <laughs> series, wouldn't it? I think now that what I call meh's side one, track one, is that Martin McCutcheon thing who's, I can't even remember the name of the title of it. Yeah, me neither. Well, quite a way ahead of Leona, but still in the Met, Rita Ora. So, Ed says, yes, it's generic tens pop, but hey, I really, really love a lot of tens pop. Ultimately, I'm much more likely to add this to a playlist than either the Enya or the Hopkin classics. And indeed, if I had known this song before the podcast dropped, I already would have. Malcolm says, clearly I had a lot more love for this than the presenters, but I think this is just a fantastic pop song. Lyrically, musically, in every way. No competition this week. I had no idea about the lockdown party episode, but it can't take away from the music for me. 
while Hedgerow, who placed it third, says, who can't relate to the self-sabotaging of relationships? Just me, then? What's Thames Pop? Is this a term? Thames Pop? Like the river? 2010. Oh, Thames Pop. I thought there was an entire genre of river-based pop music. No, no, it's it's Thames Pop. It's music that you can attach to you and it relieves nerve pain. <laughs> Turns out I'm a hypocrite about Rita Ora, by the way, because obviously I dismissed it as I can't engage with Rita Ora on account of the whole COVID thing. But then I found I do love the masked singer. And she obviously is a co-panelist on that. And I watched that in spite of her being on it, which so I've broken my own rule there, really. So. She's on it every second, third week recently. I suspect she might be one of the, the singers, possibly. <laughs> there was a theory, wasn't there? She's only been on like three episodes this season. There is speculation that she is actually one of the contestants. Yes, that is true. God knows she's in dire need of a hit because this was her, this was her last hit. She hadn't had any since. Maybe that's what it takes. Anyway, in third place, earning one point for the 1970s, My Best Friend's Girl by the Cars. Mark says, as I was on the other side of the Atlantic from 79 to 84, for me, the cars were always legit stars. Oddly, although I also thought this was from the 80s, to me, its structure sounds indebted to Mink Deville's Spanish Stroll. It's nowhere near as good as that, but I like this just fine. Then he adds a sort of parenthesis coda. He says, I know Drive was the song of theirs that had the most impact in the UK, but it will be wrong to think that that kind of ploddy AOR was their end point. It sounds nothing like the other singles off the album it comes from. Rick Ockerset just couldn't sing in that style. So Drive has the bass player on vocals. Did not know that. Malcolm says, another absolute classic for me. So it was interesting to hear Mike's perspective and the top banter following it. I also thought it was 80s and I absolutely loved Trev's analogy. And David says, as a student journo, I got a free copy. Hype, you say? Thing is, Trev, I can't remember what your brilliant analogy was. Can you? I can't remember. Apart from this was the one where you went mental. Oh, just a bit. And you lost the plot for about 40 or 50 minutes. I refuse to acknowledge this record as ever happening. This is fake. We've all been manipulated into believing this is a hit and it wasn't really. Well, it went on because you subjected me to such a harsh interrogation. I mean, you could have had a career as a barrister, frankly, and I rebutted all of your points. I have an email here from the official charts company, by the way, that they they confirm it was a hit. (laughs) (laughs) James, was it a hit for you? It doesn't sound bad, but the whole American take on New Wave, it just sounds to me like yacht rock going into 80s rock, 80s like mature rock. It seems just like a part of that movement. It doesn't seem like a break with anything. I have liked some Cars songs. I think Drive was the one I actually can remember and like listening to sometimes. So if that's not a good representation of the band, maybe I just don't like them. And James, speaking of the 70s going into 80s thing, you and I are both members of a message board uh, that has a uh-huh. currently active thread where users of the message board are posting album covers of acts that you would absolutely associate with the 70s, trying to go all new wave and futuristic, and this is the age of the robot 80s, with horrific aesthetic consequences. Mm. That's been an eye-opener. Because what you're saying about them being Yacht Rock, because that was kind of their progression, wasn't it? That was where they ended up. I mean, that drive 
It's super soft rock. Mm. It's almost direction section stuff. Apart from the uh, the connotations that were added to it when it was played at Live Aid, which I suggest would be a bit of a passion dampener. And not in a good way. Whoa, wait, wait, what's this? I don't know about this. What happened at Live Aid? Well, I, I don't know. You might correct me here. I'm pretty sure it was played at Live Aid over footage of the famine that led to Live Aid in the first place. So it's sort of for anybody of a certain age, you cannot hear drive by the cars without thinking of that. Ah. Yeah, specifically, David Bowie cut his Live Aid set short by one song. And instead of playing his last song, he introduced a video of Drive by the Cars. It had been a hit a year earlier, and the footage was extreme starvation images. It was really brutal. And I remember just completely bawling my eyes out in front of the TV watching it. And as a result of that, Drive was a massive hit all over again on the back of that, which is why it wouldn't have worked in an erection section after Live Aid. No, I mean, that will change people's views on on that song, won't it? That just happens with music, doesn't it? There's not much you can do. I suppose the artists have got to let go and go, there it is, it's out there, do what you will with it. Mm. Second place, earning two points for the 1980s. It is Orinoco Flow by Enya. Alex says, likewise, I had no idea that the words other than sail away were anything but generic new age random spiritual mumbling. This sounded really good in Dixon's on the pizzicato setting on the early Yamaha keyboards that I couldn't afford. Ed says it starts off like a genuinely thrilling ride in some kind of magical eco rocket ship. But at one minute and 50 seconds, it has this weird down tempo interlude for 30 seconds, which kills it absolutely stone dead and it never recovers any momentum. The first half of the song, however, is the best thing this week. And Mark says... I also would never have imagined voting for this. At the time, it seemed like a Radio 2 watering down of Cocteau twins, and I wasn't even that keen on them. But these days, it seems both tuneful and endearingly daft. It also seemingly has a lot of sticking power, judging by the fact that the girls who I guess were about 17 were singing it on the bus to Peckham a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if that's down to its rave afterlife, as chronicled in detail by Trev last time. I'm glad somebody else thought it was just mumbling. I'm pleased it wasn't just me. Have you checked out the lyrics online? There's a line that name checks, uh, I'm just checking out, Rob Dickens. Mm. Do you know that line? So it's, he's the chairman of Warner Music UK, and it, it mentions Rob Dickens because uh, he discovered Enya. So one of those strange noises is the name of a British record executive. And Rob Dickens was so delighted to be mentioned on this track that he threw all his considerable weight behind the promotion of the single and also succeeded in having Sail Away added as a kind of bracketed parenthesis to Orinoco Flow so that the pop kids would go, oh, yeah, that one that goes Sail Away, Sail Away, Sail Away. So quite a smart commercial move from any of there. Yeah, this is my number one. This is my three-pointer, which is not really in character, but there's a reason. <laughs> so uh, we used to have cassettes called New Horizons in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, of kind of world music, and it was on there. I was, what, 10 years old, so it sounded bizarre and mysterious and kind of wonderful. And my mum had an album as well. We had on at home sometimes. That was before I discovered what was cool and what wasn't cool. And then later in the decade, I discovered that it wasn't cool. 
and I wouldn't listen to it then. And I was uh, a bit embarrassed by it. And I went back to a girl's house one time, to her room, <laughs> and uh, she said she liked Enya and put it on. And I was sniffy about it. That's more embarrassing now than uh, being uh, ashamed of it in the in the 90s. You know, that's, that's a bit more embarrassing, taking it that seriously. <laughs> but then um, my wife, Enya is her favourite artist. It's not her favourite Enya song, but Enya is solidly her favourite artist of all time. And from her playing Enya over the last well, 13 years, I've really started to appreciate what she does, how she plays with texture of sound. It is cheesy. It's definitely cheesy. It's definitely dated, especially this song. But um, I think some of the best things are cheesy and dated, but they're more charming. It just captures a kind of feeling, and I don't know if you could capture it any other way. It's not a perfect song, but it's a piece of music I love now, <laughs> I think. I've kind of come full circle on it. And there's nothing else that sounds like it. I think that's important as well. There's nothing else that sounds like this song in her discography, I'd say. It's nice to have Enya properly championed, actually. Justice for Enya, because I was really rude about her last time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can understand. She's, it's definitely not a cool thing to like, that's for sure. And I wonder if my wife had grown up in England, if she would have packed away the Enya years ago, been embarrassed about it. But she didn't, so fair enough. Oh. I've got to know, right? Was the girl whose room you went back to and she started playing Enya and you were a bit sniffy, did that end up being your wife? Is like no. Enya the backbone of your relationship? <laughs> like, it all started going wrong with Enya, but then through the polar opinions of Enya, we came together. So basically, James, you are a magnet for Enya fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be uh, engraved on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> so were you like a teenage boy when you went back to this girl's room i think i was in the cusp of not being a teenager so 1920 right i mean this is key essentially shagging time yeah and you're mm. back in a girl's room presumably hoping for that i think mm. there's a lot to be said for you standing to your guns and going oh no actually enya uh sorry i've i've got to go home and <laughs> I'm <laughs> out of here. That shows a lot of integrity. I mean, there was there was another girl who liked Stereophonics. It was a favorite band, and that was yeah. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even take Stereophonics just to get you know. No, no. Wow. Can I just reassure any other <laughs> Patreon subscribers who are wondering whether or not to volunteer for the results bulletin? You will not necessarily be quizzed about your adolescent sex life by Trev in future episodes. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> and yeah, let's go further into this. I'm just like, yeah, okay. Do you want to come back to my room? I definitely do. So I think I'm just going to slip into something more comfortable. Well, wait a minute. What if you just put on the stereo? Enya, I am out of here. That is dedication to musical snobbery. I don't know. There must be a, an example. Like what, what music would make you turn around and leave? There must be some, surely. My worst ever sex soundtrack was with my first proper boyfriend and we were in the initial throes of passion. And we were in the initial throes of passion at this moment in my room with my cassette player until on comes the extended 12-inch mix of Da 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 by Trio. <laughs> that took a bit of working through. What a strong rhythm. Taking Trev's point to his logical conclusion, and I agree, what a great thing. No, I'm not into any year. It's not going to work. Ta-ta. What you're saying is, though, Trev, over the intervening years, you're saying James's standard slipped to such a level. <laughs> when an Enya fan came along, he was just like, yep. Uh, 
<laughs> I like to think I've got a pretty broad musical palette, and I'm beginning to think that the reason I've got a pretty broad musical palette is because nothing, particularly in my teenage years, there would be no... A girl could put on the speeches of Hitler, and I'd still be like, well, you know, it's a lot of art is subjective. Should we carry on with what we're thinking of doing? And there would be no red lines for me. Say in my teenage years, oh, what's this that we're listening to? Ah, the sound of people screaming. Okay. I'm with James. I would draw the line at the stereophonics, 100%. Mm. I don't care who you are. Emma Stone, I'm not listening to Have a Nice Day. Get out. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Will, you will have deduced by now that in first place, earning three points for the 1960s, we have Mary Hopkin and Those Were the Days, a song so perfect that I think it stunned all of our listeners into awestruck silence because I only have two comments for this and they're both quite short. So Ed says... Beautiful, nostalgic, wistful, and far too long, still worthy of its classic status. And Malcolm says, I agree that this is one of those classics you feel you've always known. Nostalgic feel, gentle, and rather lovely. I also need to point out, this is our first win for the 1960s since season one, episode four, when Gene Pitney won with Something's Got on the Hold of My Heart. So this has been a long time coming. There you go. Just a bit of Russian folk, Georgian Russian folk. That's all you need. Yeah. I just listened to this just now it's just the production is astonishing is it, is it paul mccartney actually producing it it is paul mccartney there's little like banjo bits and you can hear and just the is it a balalaika just mm. the, the way that they come in and out it sounds so beautiful and expensive as well that's a masterpiece of production completely agree i sense an awestruck silence descending on us all here because <laughs> it is an odd week this because it's not been a week week you know, I mean, like Enya's a big song, isn't it? Those were the days of big songs. But then there were two strong mez. This is a strange week just of music. This could have been any order. Could have been upside down, this this chart. Indeed. Let's look at the master scoreboard, because we're three episodes in now. So we actually have a reasonable working master scoreboard. Currently, in last place, minus one point, the 1990s. In fifth place, zero points the 2010s in fourth place two points the 2000s and yeah as always the three oldest decades are in the top three so third with three points we have the 1970s second with five points the 1980s first with six points the 1960s so again it's the 80s and the 60s at the top are winners of season one and season two is this a pattern that will always be repeated Are we also going to talk about, frankly, the travesty of justice, the miscarriage of justice that was the subscribers only Christmas one? Uh, Up until this point, I thought I liked our subscribers, but they put base on a last country's broken. What's going on? It must be a bitter pill to swallow. Maybe you'll think twice about playing it out next Christmas, Trev. I'm not so easily swayed. I believe in bass hunter, jingle bells, bass, jingle bass bells, bass jingle bells. I just think people are wrong about this. Music's subjective, but sometimes people are wrong. Little uh, teaser for you here. Bass Hunter is touring the UK this spring on a package tour with one of the acts from our next episode tickets are sold out as well 
which I'm deeply annoyed about. Oh, Trev. You can't get that many people in a Weatherspoons, in fairness. So, James, before we go, would you like to tell us and our listeners about Centuries of Sound and what it is and why they might want to take an interest? Um, it's a, a mixtape. I think is the best way to describe it, of music and speech for every year of recorded sound starting in 1859, 1858, not really clear, and uh, yeah, finishing the present day. And uh, so far I've got to 1946, just about to release 1947. And uh, there are mixes for 2016 to 2019 out there as well. And is, is it a mix of like music and speech, like sort of news footage, stuff like that? It's not rock and roll years. I've got radio broadcasts. I've got uh, clips from films and spoken word things. I don't want to make it like a news bulletins of the year. It's not all the biggest hits of the year either. It's uh, the best music that works best together, layered over other sounds and layered over other music. It's supposed to be kind of an immersive experience rather than a history experience, you know? So quite a lot of the years that you've covered so far are, you know, you're going back. Where do you find the source material for that? It depends which time it is. Before 1910, I could literally do, you know, uh, web crawling things to just get every single recording that exists from that time. <laughs> but uh, it's, got, it's got complicated. I've got lists I found all over the internet of best music and I go and find it all. And there's a uh, a long process <laughs> that each mix goes through. The million-dollar question, James, is did your mid-1920s editions include the original version of Those Were the Days? No, I don't think it did. Although I'm not sure there's 60 or so songs in each mix, but I'm pretty sure it didn't. I keep going like, oh, I should have put that in, or that would have been a good thing to put in. But that way lies madness. You can't be comprehensive when I occasionally do themed DJ nights. I've only got two hours to put everything in. It's It's agony having to leave stuff out right folks i think that concludes our results bulletin the three regulars will be back very very soon with season three episode four interesting selection of tunes i think until then bye from all of us james thanks very much for joining us thanks for having me look forward to that next episode nice to meet you james cheers bye-bye